Talking Tesla. Talking Tesla. Tesla. I'm not sure if like my foot should be on the brake or the accelerator. They put rings on Elon. It must be some sort of geometrical algorithm. I don't really need to touch the steering wheel there, Tom. Oh, I'm sure there's some math. So SpaceX, <laughs> here's the deal. Um, landing a rocket on a drone ship is key. Charger, 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 <laughs> charger. How am I expected to drive a car without autopilot? Safely. Charger, charger, charger. <laughs> you know, I'm not a good parker, Tom. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. Yeah. I just think that this is a car company that is run by super geeks. Super All the other cars are going to be stupid cars compared to this car. You don't even have to I remember that. You've got a Model X. I have seen the future, and it is light pole charging. No, I wouldn't call it a screw-up. Do you like your Model X? God, it's beautiful. <laughs> We have news this morning that Morgan Stanley has upped its price target for Tesla to $540 a share. What's your target price? Mine is a, a, a tad above that. It's $578. So they're getting, they're getting closer to the truth. That is Pierre Farragou, uh, leader of the Global Technology Infrastructure Research Team at New Street Research in an interview last week with uh, Stuart Varney on Fox Business. Pierre, I have to say before we start, I do like your accent as well. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to uh, pick Pierre's brain a little bit today about what he thinks about Tesla's imminent uh, induction into S&P 500 and why he thinks Tesla is poised for a decade of hyper growth. Pierre, thanks for joining us at uh, Talking Tesla. Thanks for having me, Joe. That's a pleasure. The uh, byline for uh, global technology group on the website says infrastructure applications, innovation and disruption. Can you tell us a little bit about what your group does and what you do? Yes. Uh, so we, we're a group of uh, eight people, eight, uh, eight people. We do research, uh, investment research. So we, our clients are uh, mostly institutional investors and we help them um, figure out what's happening in um, a universe that we've defined as technology infrastructure, which is uh, all um, all the things that you need in place for uh, disruption to happen. So we look at uh, at networking, at cloud infrastructure, compute, uh, semiconductors, uh, and we also look a lot at um, uh, uh, energy technology. So how to get uh, electrical energy to um, be carried over in a car and to be uh, transferred from a battery to uh, to a motor, etc. So, so we cover uh, we cover about 20, uh, 20 stocks, fairly large cap stocks. Tesla is one of them, as you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also co cover Nvidia, we cover Intel, uh, we also cover Infineon. Infineon is a German company that is specializing in doing semiconductor chips you need to transfer energy from a battery to an inverter. And to okay. To a motor, for instance, we also uh, uh, cover Uber because we, we consider ride sharing as having a pivotal role in uh, the, the upcoming of um, driverless services. Um, so we have a pretty broad scope of, uh, of names we cover, and we spend a lot of time uh, making sure uh, we can bring to our investor clients uh, a debunked. Uh, simplified, uh, very fundamental perspective on uh, what, what, what the technology is about, how technology is disrupting or being disrupted, and uh, how you can connect that with business models 
competitive dynamics and ultimate evaluation. So last month you um, set a 12-month price target for Tesla at, uh, as you were telling Stuart there, for 578. And you stated in your uh, the company report that Tesla set for hyper growth. What is your estimate for Tesla's market cap like in the next five, 10 years? So it's, um, it's a good question because even if we uh, uh, provide uh, our uh, clients in, in our research uh, 12 months price targets, uh, we definitely don't look at Tesla uh, over, uh, over that kind of, uh, over that kind of very short uh, very short period of time. We um, we are actually looking at. Uh, we used to look at it until 2025, uh, and we've extended actually our scope until 2030 in mm-hmm. this last uh, in this last upgrade. And so, let me give you a sense of how we see the business on a kind of five-year horizon, and then over a ten-year horizon. So, in in five years from now. Our perspective is that given where Tesla is today and where competition is today, Tesla will still not have significant credible competition around them in 2025. So you will have other players making electric cars, but their electric cars will be more expensive and lower performance than Tesla cars. So they are not, they're going to take market share. They're going to be part of the market. Tesla is not going to be the only car manufacturer in 20 years. Uh, in 2025, but incumbent will not be competitive yet. And the new entrants you see coming up in the in the tail of uh, of Tesla, like uh, uh, Lucid Motors, Rivian, like the Chinese Neo, uh, uh, Xiaopeng, Li Motors. All these guys, because they are just getting started, will will be trailing Tesla, but they are, they are not disrupting and getting getting over uh, uh, over them. So if you think at you know, we have like a 2026 model, how many cars Tesla is going to sell by then? It's going to be as many as they can manufacture, actually. Hmm. Uh, we, we estimate the addressable market is about 20, 25 million units with the model 3, Y, X, and S, and, uh, and with uh, the Cybertruck. Uh, and we think they'll be able to sell maybe 2.8 million units in 2026. Okay. Um, so, so, so they won't have a problem. Uh, that would be only 12% of their time. And when they get there, that means like they make, uh, uh, they exceed $100 billion in revenues. Uh, we are very bullish on the gross margin of Tesla. Um, Tesla is today at 20% gross margin, above 20% gross margin, excluding credits. Uh, that's abnormal for a car manufacturer. It's already above peers. Okay. Uh, and over the next uh, five years, what's going to happen is that uh, the Model Y is going to have a massive impact, positive impact on gross margin because the Model Y costs the same to manufacture as a Model 3, but sells for $5,000 more. Then on top of that, uh, Tesla is still on a better curve than anyone else on battery costs. So I think a lot of the battery cost reduction that we'll see um, in the last five years are going to actually not get reflected much into pricing. Um, and then overall, Tesla, I mean, like between Fremont and Shanghai, you have massive uh, um, efficiency improvements. Even within Fremont, between the Model Y, the Model 3 and the Model Y manufacturing lines, you have massive efficiency improvements. Mm-hmm. That will continue with Berlin. So we, we, we think that Tesla still has also room to gain market share, to, to gain um, in profitability. 
Uh, and of course, prices are going to come down. Average selling price are going to come down. The mix is going to shift towards lower end models, but we still see Tesla close to 30% gross margin on, on that kind of time horizon. So in, 20, um, in 2025, uh, if you make 100, over $100 billion of revenues with uh, like nearly 30% nearly gross margin, uh, you, you, look, uh, you look pretty good. And then the key question is, on what kind of multiple is Tesla going to trade uh, at that kind of levels? So, so what's going to be the outlook for Tesla in 2025? So the way we are in 2020, I'm looking at Tesla, and I'm trying to figure out what they're going to look like in 2025 based on what they are today. And in 2025, so they're going to be the leading uh, premium car manufacturer in the world. So they're going to be larger than BMW probably and uh, Daimler and others. And they're going to be uh, just like going through an, a growth inflection point on two fronts. Uh, one is um, lower price cars, like so getting like a Tesla in the twenty to $25,000 range, which basically means a car that is affordable the same way uh, like a seventeen dollars or $18,000 car uh, is affordable today, given like the more advantageous economics for the owner of having a Tesla car, you know, the total cost and maintenance and things like that. Exactly, is, uh, is much better. So that's a very significant growth uh, driver for them. They can double their business again with that. They can quadruple their addressable market in terms of units. So it's lower price, lower margin units, but a very, very large volume. And then the scale they will have by then in terms of battery manufacturing, several hundred terawatt hours uh, of production per year, uh, will put them in a position uh, really to capture this opportunity uh, as we move towards uh, renewable energy to provide the world with basically energy storage capacity that we have to be in the 100,000 terawatt hours kind of range ultimately. So in 20, let's say 2050, when we will be almost 100% renewable, we will need about 100,000 terawatt hours of battery. So even if you take 20 years to build up that capacity, um, uh, you're going to have to, um, uh, sorry, uh, I, I mixed uh, myself up between two numbers. The 100,000 is not the, the capacity, that's actually the well, yeah. actual conception of energy that you're going to, uh, uh, to require. So that means uh, if you assume that you'll be able, you, you'll need to store on average globally about one day uh, of energy con consumption in mm -hmm. order to be able to leverage um, uh, renewable energy, so mostly solar and a bit of wind and hydro and things like that, you will need 300 terawatt hours. And for the, so that's like the daily daily consumption that you need to, to be able to store. And if you take 20 years to build that out, it means you'll have to put in the ground 15 terawatt hours a year. And so even if Tesla takes 20% of that opportunity, it's probably going to be a very, very fragmented market, very local, very political. Uh, but it's still like a $750 billion opportunity for Tesla. Uh, if, if they sell the system at $50 per kilowatt hour, which would be about half the price they sell for at the, uh, at the moment, which is very reasonable. So, so in 2030, Tesla actually will still be we still have a growth outlook very similar to the growth outlook of, uh, of an Amazon today. Like it's growing fast, 25 to 30% a year. Mm -hmm. And it's going to grow fast for many, many, many more years. And so if you look at 
that kind of perspective uh, in, 20, in 2030, if they get to $500 billion in revenues, 75 to $100 billion of EBIT, they could be like a three, $2.5, $3 billion, even $3.5 trillion market cap. So, so that's like huge. Much larger than what Apple is today, but that makes sense. I mean, if Tesla is as successful doing car energy storage system as uh, Apple has been successful just doing smartphones, it makes sense that it becomes a much more, much more expensive business. And so, so, so that's kind of the way um, uh, we uh, significantly, we didn't really change uh, a month ago our perspective, our 2025 perspective, like that vision of 2025. We've had it for like two, three years already but now we think that what we've learned with the battery day um with like um, uh, all uh, like the scale out industrial scale out tesla is capable of now like uh, you know, opening new factories very rapidly mm -hmm. uh, makes us feel confident that in five years from now tesla will be like the number one name the number one company on the number one theme which would be sustainable energy and susta sustainable transportation uh, and they will still have a very significant competitive advantage, of course. With that level of growth, do you see many, many more factories? Do you have like a, a number that you've come up with about the number of factories that Tesla's going to have to sort of so build? We, we are pretty uh, pretty detailed uh, on that front uh, until 2025. So in 2025, we think uh, Tesla will be manufacturing less than 100,000 Model S and X in Fremont. 500,000 Model 3 and Y uh, in Fremont, 500,000 Model 3 and Y in Shanghai, 500,000 Model 3 and Y in Berlin, 500,000 um, with a mix of, you know, the, the truck and, uh, and Model Y and Model X in, in, in Model 3 in, uh, in Austin, Texas. Uh, and then we think that in the next five years, they will announce one additional fab that they will probably have almost completed, and there will still be an additional one building up. So we, there will be another one and a half fab somewhere in the world. And uh, I have to say, I actually don't know where it could be. It might be, it's probably not going to be in America. So it, it might be in Europe or in Southeast Asia. I mean, there, there are a lot of um, uh, potential candidates for that. So that would be the footprint in terms of car manufacturing. Um, and then for uh, cell manufacturing, so with their new technologies, they should be able to have very, very dense cell manufacturing capacity capabilities. So which means that a lot of these car manufacturing sites will be manufacturing uh, battery cells as well. And, uh, and you know, by, by then they, they might have like you know, the kind of like terawatt scale factories that are only doing sales and that are mostly doing sales for energy storage in 2025, 2026, 20, when we will start hearing about these projects, or the, let's say that we will start seeing these projects getting very, very tangible. Do, do you see the semi as just more of a disruptor, a disruptor, but not a volume leader? in some way so you didn't mention that for example yeah that's a very so there are a lot of things i didn't mention <laughs> yeah i didn't mention the semi i didn't mention autopilot and driverless uh, business models and i didn't mention the insurance business and i didn't mention a service business like a ride sharing type mm -hmm. business. okay so 
this group of things I didn't mention, I didn't mention them for three possible reasons. The first one is it's small, it's not going to make a big difference. So that's a kind of a semi. Even if the semi is very successful, as such, uh, if Tesla becomes a leading semi manufacturer, yeah, it, I'd have to update my model at some point and, uh, and reflect it, and I'd be very happy to do that. It's not going to be a major moving part. Then there are others where I feel we are still at a stage where things are open-ended. So you look at like um, uh, autopilot. In my numbers, autopilot as it is today, which is like a very high quality, high-end feature that is attracting uh, drivers to the, to, the, to the brand that is helping with pricing power. So you can make two, $3,000 more out of a car with that feature. That's in my numbers. Now, autopilot being like a game changer and own of its league, only Teslas can redrive by themselves. Uh, and you have to pay uh, $250 a month to have that on your car. That bull case, I don't have it because it's too early to make that call. It's like, mm. it's like this would be like a VC game. Uh, you know, it's like making an investment on Waymo. It's like, to me, I, I need more time to. Uh, to really reflect that in my, my expectations. So that's an upside potential. Uh, same thing for the insurance business. If you look at the insurance business, so you take like a very simple use case, you have a Model 3 uh, that is going to last 12 years. Uh, and you sell it for $45,000. And on, on this $45,000, you make, let's say, $10,000 of gross profits. Okay, so that's a bit less than $1,000 a year of gross profits. Um, uh, and, and then your operating profits on that are maybe um, maybe two, 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 two thirds of that. So over 10 years, you make like, let's call it six uh, $6,000 of gross profits, that's $500 a year. Uh, actually, if you self-insure that car, if you really can insure that car, and that car is offers like superior safety, uh, and you have data and information, to, 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 to fine-tune the price of uh, the insurance premium that makes you much more competitive than any other insurance company and you and that's you know an add-on business to your business model so you don't have any cost to run it and things like that you know it could be half that in profit so like mm. the size of Tesla could increase by 50 percent just with the insurance insurance business but it's a very slow, very slow burn, very, very, right. very, very slow process. It's going to be very complicated. It's going to be time consuming. And so these are not things I would want to value uh, right now. And then like driverless business models, ride, ride sharing. So first, I'm a bit bearish on that one. I, I think it's very, very difficult to get a ride sharing network up and running. And now that players like Uber and Didi and Grab have secured that position in the value chain, I don't think Tesla would be able to get there. Tesla might be able to sell them their technology and make a decent amount of money with that. But they're not going to become a ride-hailing ride uh, platform. I think it's uh, the, the, the route to market for that against an established incumbent is too, too challenging. Do you think those players that you mentioned will move towards autonomous? Or, uh, well, I mean, obviously at some point, but like in the next 10 years or so? So my conviction on autonomous is very, very specific. So I think Tesla is the most advanced on the technological capabilities on, a, on its uh, league, which is the ability to have a system um, 
in uh, in any car and uh, any uh, any location and that is based on the best effort basis so it's doing fine up to the point you have to take over basically they are by far the best then you have guys like Waymo that are developing systems that try to be completely fail safe so they, they can't get it wrong uh, but it's a much much narrower kind of scope it works only in a, in a geofenced area it's a very slow um, uh, very very uh, much more like um, uh, much tighter and uh, uh, technology and this, both these guys have the same problem which is um, getting into the market because the technology is never going to be universal it's never going to be plug and play just has to put it in a car and deploy it and it's going to run the reality is that the technology is going to get better and better and as it gets better and better it's going to be able to capture a very initially very small but slowly expanding share of the total ride hailing opportunity. And so the only place where you can introduce the technology over multiple years, going from 1% market share to maybe 25% market share over 10 years, is actually Uber. If you don't have the Uber business model, then you have to recreate Uber and then wait 10 years to get your technology there. And then like how many tens of billions of dollars are you going to burn doing that? I compare that to what happened with Google uh, 10 years ago when Google started deploying fiber. The guys at Google were like, if we do fiber ourselves, we can do 10 times better than AT&T. And they tried it in, Can in Kansas City and four years down the line, they were like, you see, we do it 10 times better than AT&T. But then we told them, yes, but it took you four years and a billion dollars. So you're not going to, like, if we take tips. It's not world beater. 50 years and 50 billion dollars right. to, to do it across the country. So you can't, you don't have a route to market. You have a great technology, but you don't have a, a route to market. So I think at some point, these technology suppliers will all have very good technologies. Some of, they will be differentiated and some of them will be better than others. Waymo might be the leader on the super high safety um, uh, kind of uh, a game plan, getting as close as possible to level five uh, autonomy. Uh, Tesla will probably be the best at level three plus uh, level four. And these guys might start partnering with, uh, with uh, Uber, with Lyft, but Uber and Lyft will control the go-to market okay. of these technologies. So you've, you've seen the, some of the articles out there about Uber potentially looking to sell their technology, but you ultimately believe, I'm guessing, that they'll acquire the technology but still have the, the branding and the market to be able to take advantage of it. Yes, exactly. What, what they do is exactly what I wanted, I've been wanting them to do for a while, which is to put themselves in a position of being able to shop around for the technology. They don't need to own the technology. So for many years, they spent a lot of money on their own technology for a good reason. One good reason, which is not to get leapfrogged, to understand how it works. And now they feel they get it, and they get it's very complicated. And they feel like, why would we spend the next $10 billion we need to spend to get the technology right? Let's, let's let people who are better positioned to do that do it for us. And if there is one thing I don't know is who Uber is eventually going to buy its technology from. Is it going to be a Waymo or is it going to be a, a Tesla? And that is a huge question. I have no idea. And we'll have to see. Yeah, Uber I've is making fantastic progress now. Uh, in terms of capabilities, like general use case capabilities. And in the meantime, Waymo is getting to a point where 
they can roll out a partial service on a tiny portion of a city. So they are both doing very, very well in a very, very different way. And so we don't know how they will converge back together uh, in five years from now. What do you see the market size for autonomous in the next, what, like five years, 10 years? Or I guess ride sharing, because it'd be all the same and then eventually. Well, so ride sharing is big. It's like, uh, I think ride sharing you know, excluding the effect of COVID and how our way of moving around has been uh, changed, ride sharing in five years from now, five to seven years from now, is a one trillion dollar gross booking business. And and the math for that is very simple. I think people in the world will spend on their personal mobility services about the same amount they're spending today on their telecom services on their mobile phone on their mobile service, okay? And that's a trillion dollar industry. The big difference between telecom and ride sharing is that in ride sharing, you'll have Uber with 40% market share globally, and Didi with maybe 25 or 30% market share globally, and Grab with 20%. So these players will be maybe trillion dollar businesses. Okay, so that's the size of the business. And that's excluding any significant impact of autonomous. Then if autonomous becomes a technology that handles, let's say, every other ride. So every other time you take an Uber, you have a car without a driver. Just that could double or triple again the size of the business because it's a very elastic business today. There is so much I use Uber. If the cost of Uber halves, I'm going to use it probably three times more. Okay, so there will be a net increase in that. In, in, in the value, uh, in the value for Uber, and that's the effect of autonomy. Uh, an autonomous-driven car costs a third to drive as a car with a, a driver, and in between a quarter and a third. Mm-hmm. So, if you manage to get half your rides without a driver, the average price of the se- and all that is managed by the sing- a single operator, the cost of the service will more than half. And I, I would think that would affect uh, car ownership at some point once that gets down pretty low. Oh, like the car ownership, uh, car ownership perspective is very, uh, very, it's very difficult to know. Um, I think you, um, uh, it will affect it very clearly, and it's already affecting car ownership a lot. You see, like uh, uh, younger demographics in cities don't buy cars anymore. But like people who live in the suburbs, people who have a house and a garage, they buy a car because they like to have a nice car. <laughs> but but and the nice car depends on how much money you make and <laughs> for some people it's a Ferrari for other people maybe it's a Model Three and for some it's a, uh, uh, even like a, a less expensive car than um, uh, than that so owning a car for the pleasure of having a car might stick around but then you're going to use it much less because very often you'll feel like you, you don't need to pull out your car to um, to do. Um, uh, to do what you want and like uh, things like you know uh, like uh, yeah so today ride sharing is like still like in low single digit percentage of total personal transportation okay. and your personal car is still 95 plus percent of personal transportation and in the five or ten percent left you, you have like train and public transportation and ride sharing and so mm-hmm. ride sharing is going to take a lot of share to other public transportation, and is also going to erode the shares of your personal car. But, but I think the personal car, even 
in 10 years from now, we'll still have more than 50% market share. So you'll still hang around more than 50% of the time with your own car. But now, as you will be spending a lot more money on other type of transportation, and you will be expecting to spend maybe less money on your car, maybe, and, and, and own it in a different way. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. And, and what's going to be the most interesting is that, I don't know if you remember, but over the last five years, uh, the anxiety of buying an electric car because of the resale value of this electric car has been significant. It has been coming down, but it kept very high, just still high. But at some point, people will think the other way around and thinking, I'm not going to buy like an IC car today because it's probably worth nothing in five years. And the day it happens, then there will be a craze, like people will, will need to get rid of their IC car and buy an electric car as soon as possible. And uh, you know, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but it's going to change ownership dynamics very, very significantly, for sure. So yeah, that would be a, an opportunity for ride sharing for a bit if there's actually not enough EVs available at that point, depending on when it happens, especially the closer it happens to 2025, that's going to, I mean, there's probably not enough batteries still in 2025. Well, yes. There won't be enough battery for quite a long time. Yeah. So listening, reading, and I know you have a, um, a hard stop. Listening to you speak uh, um, at that uh, the hyper growth report that you that you presented, it sounds like you've driven a Tesla before. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Because we we see some some analysts that have never driven an electric car or never have, you know, they just sort of are stuck in their own ice paradigm in some ways. So. That's pretty yeah, no, no. I, I I was driving one of the first uh, Model X. Uh, I'm driving a Model Three at the moment, and uh, I'm like begging uh, Tesla and Elon Musk to get like the FSD uh, uh, <laughs> uh, version, but I still don't, don't have it. So I'm not, I've not been very successful at it so far. Oh wow! <laughs> and and I, I, yeah, so I actually I, I happen to to drive a Tesla and. Uh, uh, I, I have been actually very, uh, very, uh, very interesting and very keen to uh, uh, about um, electrification for a very long time ago. And I actually can tell you that 10 years ago, I initiated coverage on a company, you know, German company called Infineon. And, and what Infineon is doing is this chip that can retransfer energy very efficiently from a battery to a motor or from like a, a charger or, or a car slowing down and, and braking back into the battery. Using silicone, uh, silicon carbide technology? So before silicon carbide, okay. at the time that was done with, uh, with traditional silicon. And my case on that company was, well, you know what, guys, without these guys, you can't do an electric car, you can't do a solar panel, you can't do a wind farm, you cannot do anything. And in an electric car, the content for these guys is going growing 30x. You need 30 times more of their components in an electric car compared to a traditional IC car. In a traditional IC car, you need a component like that only in the air conditioning system. Mm -hmm. In the Model S, you need 120 in, in the powertrain. And at the time, that was like a, a 4 5 euro stock, and now it's a 30 euro stock. So I got into Tesla way, way, way earlier than anyone else. <laughs> going oh, wow. Few. But then at that time, I was only covering Infineon. I was not covering Tesla. And then after a few years, I was like, I know more about Tesla than any single analyst on Wall Street because I know, I know the, the inside. Of the and you're not coming from the uh, traditional ICE sort of background. Where no, 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 not at all. I come actually from telecom and telecom equipment. So, you know, I, I've seen a lot of things. And, um, and you've seen disruption too. 
I've seen massive disruption. I, you know, I've been covering uh, BlackBerry and Nokia when Apple came in and redefined what a, mo a mobile phone is. And I can tell right. you that like, when I hear like uh, executives of the IC, uh, of the car industry being angry at me, uh, I, I hear the same words and the same tone of voice I heard from like the executives of Nokia and BlackBerry at the time who didn't like my research. Um, but uh, yes, disruption is uh, is part of uh, what I've been looking at for a decade or two. Yeah, it seemed like Stuart Varney had some issue with your disruption reports as well. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. But um, we have an ongoing bet. I told him Tesla would be producing more cars than Volkswagen today, and and so, but he didn't, didn't dare to bet. He just he just he just took note of it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, Pierre. Um, he is Pierre Faragou uh, from New Street Research, and you can reach him at info at newstreetresearch.com. Thank you very much, Pierre, for your time. Sure. All right. Bye. Thank yeah. you very much. That was that was great. I probably had Is that what you wanted. Okay. Yeah, I had probably had twenty questions, but you just went right through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I spoke too long. Probably I should have given. No, no, no. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was definitely interested in your what you thought about Battery Day, but you put it all together and were directing people to your longer presentation where you you definitely broke it down and it's pretty interesting for sure. And you know what? I don't think I even asked you about S and P. Even though I talked about it at the top. No, I, my answer about SNP would have been fairly uh, uh, dismissive anyway. I no, I, I kind of knew that, but I feel like people. It's, it's good to hear it. It's good to hear yeah, it. Yeah. I, I mean, you're looking at the long view, and if you're SP, I mean, you don't care about that for the most part. My answer is that my first stop is 2025. And of course, between now and 2025, Tesla is, is in SP. So whether it happens today or in six months, I don't really care. Yeah. I know it's a, it's positive, but it's part of readjustment of supply and demand for the stock. So yeah, yeah, it, it it's not my business to trade around this thing. You have guys who are good at calculating how many people will have to buy. And, uh, it's more a day trader thing yeah. than a well. And it's good for the stock. It's going to continue to be good for the stock until the end of December. So the stock is like I can't buy the stock. Unfortunately, I would have bought it for that without any problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think more, more people that are um, you know I have, I'm invested a little bit, but nothing crazy. But more I'm into electric vehicles and sort of sustainability in general, and this sort of adds to the credibility and hopefully less of the short noise that you hear sometimes.